So, ladies, you will be having a uh, uh, Bible study this Wednesday at 10 a.m. Sherry will be back. Amen. Amen. And those of you who have been with us uh, throughout this series will know that we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And uh, we have looked at Jesus heal a leper, a Gentile, a woman, and all three of those were looked down upon by the current culture in Jesus' day. These were all healing miracles where Jesus healed people. Next, we found Jesus rebuking and stopping a storm. The title of that message was Tempest Tamer. Last week, we saw His power over literally thousands of demons who were in one particular man. And today, we come to another miracle of power in Matthew chapter 9. And I've titled today's message, When Power Permeated Paralysis. And although today's passage is an example of another healing miracle... Another focus of this passage has to do with the forgiveness of sins. We already saw Jesus healed another paralytic in Matthew 8. If you remember, that was the healing that Jesus performed for the centurion's servant. That servant was paralyzed. But today... um, which that was also a miracle where Jesus could heal from a distance. He didn't even go to the house. He, he just spoke the word. But I just want to say that today's focus is, is also not simply on just removing paralysis. It is also focused on particularly the forgiveness of sins. And uh, before we go any further, does everybody have an outline? Does everybody have one? If you don't, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Okay, good to go. So, I want to just say today, regardless of what your need is, your greatest need has been and always will be forgiveness. When you are forgiven, I mean, I know the the struggles and trials of life can weigh heavy on you, but I just want to, I want to lay it all on the scale for you today so that you can perceive this the way God wants you to. And that is, even if you're going through some trials in life, if you've been forgiven by God, that weighs better than any of your other trials. It weighs better than any other need you have, and it is the greatest, absolute greatest need that we have. So the first thing that I want you to get right out of the box from this passage is that our greatest need is for forgiveness. And when we see this in the fact that Jesus provided forgiveness for the paralytic, he did that first before he healed him. I want you to catch that. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Now this is right after Jesus has delivered the man from the demoniac that he delivered that demoniac from the legion of demons. Getting into a boat, Jesus 
crossed over the Sea of Galilee and came to his own city, that same sea that he made calm. And they brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a stretcher, and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now notice what's going on. They're bringing to him a man who's paralyzed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Bow with me. Today, Lord, speak to our heart and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are seeing Jesus after delivering the, men, delivering the men from demons across the sea in Galilee and Gadara, Jesus crosses back over the Sea of Galilee, and Matthew says he came to his own town. Now, this is not his hometown of Nazareth where he's born. Nazareth is further up north, and it's not by that Sea of Galilee. So, This is not Nazareth he's talking about. This is the town of Capernaum. This is the town where he was at when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. This is the town he was at when the Roman centurion came to him earlier. This is the town he was at where he actually began to, once Nazareth wouldn't receive him, he went to Capernaum and he actually made Capernaum his ministry headquarters. That's where he based his ministry. He wasn't based out of Nazareth. He wasn't based out of Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry base was Capernaum. And Capernaum, if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, you will find it. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. And not too far, there is this amphitheater-looking hill. And it's called the Mount of Beatitudes. It's where he preached his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And there's actually a church. They build churches over all these places that are holy sites. Uh, There's a church there. But literally, you can see, the Bible says that there were at least 5,000 men that he preached to on that day, on his first sermon. And you can see that just the natural amphitheater of the way the land goes down into where the sea is. And you know how it is when when you're on a lake. One guy could be on the other side of the lake, and you can go, Hey, Joe, I need some more worms. And he'll like, no problem. I'll give them, I'll send them over to you. And you can hear them just like they're standing beside you because their, their, their words are being carried by the water. Amen? And so they didn't need a PA, but I guess my point is they didn't need a PA system back in those days. It was just natural. So Jesus comes to Capernaum. And the Bible says these men bring him a paralytic lying on a mat, lying in his bed. Now, notice that Jesus, first of all, gives him a word of encouragement. Did you see that? He says, take courage, son. In other words, be of good cheer. Now, when you're paralyzed and lying on a mat and you've been brought to a healer, and he tells you to take courage, you know something good's fixing to take place. Amen? And you probably expect that something good is going to be a healing. 
But notice what Jesus says instead. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I like how Luke puts it. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 20, talking of the same event, Luke says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus called him friend. Jesus calls you friend. Now, does that mean this man was paralyzed because he had sinned? You know, it's a legitimate question. We saw earlier in this series that sickness and sin are connected in this world, but not always directly, because sickness and disease is a general result of sin from Adam and Eve in the world. There wasn't sickness before Adam and Eve sinned. There was no disease in the world before Adam and Eve sinned, and there never would have been had Adam and Eve not sinned. So, yes, it did bring in that. And so this is why we see the connection between healing and forgiveness in such passages as this. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 2 and 3, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. How many of you know God's got benefits once you get to know Him? You see, and one of the benefits is what? He forgives all my sin and heals all diseases. Hallelujah. That's good news right there. How many people, how many of you know you could go into a hospital and start preaching that? Have you a ministry? Do you know you can't hardly get out of a hospital? I, I was out visiting somebody not too long ago in a hospital, and before I left, there's more people, hey, hey, come here, come here, wanting me to pray with them, going into their rooms. There's a ministry there. Isaiah Again, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but it says, surely, everybody say surely. He took up our infirmities, that's my sin. He carried my sorrows. Are you sorrowful? Let him go. He'll carry them. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed or bruised for our iniquities. Now, I want to just say this. Living in sin can remove the umbrella of God off of your life and allow the enemy to penetrate, okay? Living in sin can cause sickness simply because you're out from underneath God's umbrella of protection. You want to abide in the vine, amen? Now, another thing we learn from these verses is that we can't save ourselves. How many of you ever figured that out? How many of you ever had a habit, don't raise your hands, and you couldn't get out of it? Try as you might. I like to talk to everybody who made New Year resolutions on December 31, 2023, see how they're doing. I know willpower alone is not enough. Amen? Amen. I mean, it, when you say, man, I, I don't want, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to eat sugar anymore. I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to eat any sugar. I'm not going to eat sugar. And you go by the cereal aisle and there's a Fruit Loop staring at you. You're like, I need this shredded wheat. Fruit Loop's like, these, we're fun. Lucky Charm, we're magically delicious. We're not just delicious, we're magically delicious. Oh, I want some of that magic. And you bypass the shredded wheat and 
There it goes. Boy, that sugar tasted really good. And doesn't it, though? Doesn't the good stuff, doesn't the sugar stuff taste better than the stuff that you're supposed to be eating? I mean, I, I remember one time, I don't eat these anymore. I don't know how quite to eat them. Because they're uneatable to me. Okay, now if y'all eat them and you know how to eat them, awesome, keep eating them. But there is a cereal, it looked kind of like a twig called All Bran. And it is, guess what? All Bran. Ruminate on that for just a little while. But that is not my favorite cereal because it doesn't taste very good to me going in. And that's all I'm going to say. Now, I like grape nuts. I like me some shredded wheat. I like some of those things for the brand. But there are some things it's just not fun. And the devil makes sure that sin is fun. Because, church, listen, if sin wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. And it's not always easy to do the right thing, but it's better. Amen? How many of you know shredded wheat's better for you than Fruit Loops? Grape nuts are better for you than Frosted Lucky Charms. Now, Throughout this series, we have seen that each of Jesus' healing miracles carry a spiritual meaning along with the actual physical healing. Amen? Each, each of the various diseases that Jesus healed represents a different aspect in our lives. Walk with me on this. For instance, leprosy represents the uncleanness of sin. We're going to find here pretty soon Jesus is going to heal some people of blindness. Blindness, it represents our inability to see the truth. Deafness, he's going to heal deafness here in a little while. Deafness represents our unwillingness or inability to hear truth. I talked to you last week about how the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. Why aren't people coming to Jesus by the droves? Because the devil haven't blinded. They need the blinders removed. Have you ever seen a farmer put blinders on a horse? It's so that they won't get distracted by the stuff that's around them so they don't kick, you know, get up and take the cart too fast and get scared. And so the reason that Jesus chooses to link this particular miracle with forgiveness rather than any of the other healing miracles, I want you to notice that. This is the only one he links with it. What does this man have? Paralysis. Now, grab that. What is the title of the message? When power permeated paralysis. The spiritual meaning of paralysis is powerlessness. A person who's paralyzed, their muscles have no power to do anything. Voluntarily or involuntarily. The man's paralytic state represents our powerlessness to save ourselves when it comes to sin. And right now, all over the world are paralyzed people who are powerless to get out of their sin. Listen, this man was powerless. Do you know how powerless he was? He could not walk. He could not get in the house. He could not get in there. 
And we're going to see Matthew doesn't go into the detail that Luke and Mark does. This is the guy, by the way, they cut the roof out and lower him in. Matthew doesn't tell us that. Mark and Luke do. The same truth is taught elsewhere in Scripture. I want you to see this in Romans 5 about what I just said about paralysis being powerlessness. The Bible says, Paul said to the Romans, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We were paralyzed. The whole reason Christ died for us is because we were powerless to save ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us we were not just paralyzed, but we were dead. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. I've heard people say sometimes, oh, Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. You don't need a crutch when you're dead. You need a miracle. You need to be raised spiritually from the dead. Can I get an amen? And so this man's paralysis is a picture of our complete and utter spiritual inability before God. It's not really a very complimentary picture. But it's true. We're powerless to save ourselves from the penalty of sin. We're powerless to save ourselves from the power of sin. We're powerless to save ourselves from the presence of sin. We're powerless to save ourselves. Never say powerless. The third thing we learn from these opening verses is that we are saved by faith alone. I want you to notice that Matthew says in verse 2, let's look at it again, when Jesus saw their faith... He sees their faith. He says to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. But first of all, he sees their faith. Faith can be seen. Mark and Luke, as I said, detail how they showed their faith. They showed their faith. They record that the paralytic didn't arrive early to the meeting. In fact, it was so full in the house, they could not get in the front door. You know what most people would do? Well, it's it's a full house. Sorry. Sorry, man. Yeah, you should go back home. These guys are like, "Mm mm-mm. That's what we got to do when the devil goes, nah, we can't do it. We got to go, mm-mm. No. If I can't go through the door, then I'm going to tear the roof off. Amen? So they rip open the roof and lower this man, guess where? Right in front of Jesus. Now watch this. The faith Jesus sees here must have included the paralytic himself. Now, walk with me on this. Jesus might heal someone on the basis of someone else's faith. But we are only forgiven through our faith. And Jesus sees it. How do I know it? Because he said, take courage, son. Your sins 
Or he just got through forgiving him of his sins. He saw the faith in this man to be saved. Wow. This whole first section of the miracle teaches us our greatest need is for forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you believe that? Your greatest need is to be forgiven. Second point, Jesus has authority to forgive sin. This next section of the miracle teaches us another important truth about Jesus having authority to forgive sin. And that's good news. Because if our greatest need is for forgiveness, then it's good news that Jesus has the authority to give us that. Look at verses 3 through 7 with me. And some of the scribes said to themselves, not out loud, inside their mind, to themselves, this man is blaspheming. And Jesus, not hearing them speak, but perceiving their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? And I'll stop there for just a minute. How would you like it? If you thought something and somebody around you said, why are you thinking evil in your heart? You would go, what? How do you know what I'm thinking? Guess what? It still happens today. None of us in this room, nobody listening online, none of us can think a thought without God knowing it. There's always three witnesses, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, it's not just the act of adultery, it's the thought. Well, how is the thought the sin? Because you're thinking through it, and God sees it. Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Verse 5, catch this. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And he got up and went home. Only God, I want to just say this before I go any further. Only God, according to the Bible, can forgive sin. And that's why these guys were like, this guy's blaspheming. They knew it. They knew the scriptures that stated this. Jesus tells this paralytic, his sins are forgiven, and immediately the teachers of the law say to themselves, this man is blaspheming, and there are two basic ways to commit blasphemy. One way is to ascribe evil to God. But it is also blasphemy to ascribe divinity or the things that God can do to people, especially yourself. And that's what they were thinking he was doing. So when Jesus tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven, the teachers of the law consider this blasphemy because the Old Testament clearly teaches that only God can forgive sin. Now, we can forgive other people for what they have done to us, but only God can forgive them their sin. You see, it's because all sin is really directed against God. And we have proof of this found in Psalm 51, 
when David, in the Old Testament, when he confesses his adultery with Bathsheba, said this following Scripture to God. This is Psalm 51.4. He says, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Only you, you only. Now think about this. David had sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against her husband Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And yet ultimately, he sinned against God and he needed God's forgiveness. Because even if Uriah, who's now dead, could have forgiven him and Bathsheba would have forgiven him, how many know he was still guilty? Because all sin, he still needed forgiveness of God because all sin is directed against God. That's why God says this in Isaiah 43. Look at this in verse 25. And this is what the scribes and Pharisees would have been looking at. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. How many of you ever been forgiven? You've been forgiven of your sin, and it's been cast as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, and it feels so good. You can just breathe deep. You got all that junk gone. We can only forgive people for what they've done against us. We can't forgive people for what they've done against others. And we certainly can't forgive people for what they've done against God. Only God can do that. That's why these men were thinking what they were thinking. And they accused Jesus of blasphemy. So Jesus, man, he just comes right back at them and told them, you have evil thoughts. So who's right? If Jesus wasn't God, then the Pharisees are right. Jesus is blaspheming by saying he could forgive sins And only God can forgive sins. But if Jesus is God, then Jesus is right. Now, I told the discipleship class earlier, Jesus gave up his right to act as God. What did he refer to himself even in this scripture? Son of God or son of man? Son of man. He never ceased being God, but everything he did on the earth, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. All these healings he did, he did with the Holy Spirit. But he perceived and he saw, but he had the power because he never ceased being God. He had the power to forgive a sin. That is so good. Lord, that is so good. But if Jesus is God, then Jesus is right and the Pharisees are wrong. And these teachers of the law are blaspheming by having evil thoughts about the Son of God. Standing right in front of him. And what happens next reveals the truth about Jesus. He demonstrates his authority to forgive by healing the paralyzed man. Okay? So Jesus and the teachers, right there, they're at a standstill. How do we know if Jesus actually forgave this man's sin? How can anyone know that? There's nothing visible about forgiveness. It's an act that takes place in the spirit realm. 
You know, anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. Any priest can go, your sins are absolved. Go, say, 15 Hail Marys and give to the poor and don't miss church for the next year. They, they can't remove sin. Are you with me? It's an act that takes place in the spirit realm. So how do you know if you really have the authority to forgive? More importantly, how do we know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? I think that, that's a valid question, isn't it? That's really important to know because all of us in the house, aren't we trusting Jesus to forgive our sins? Wouldn't it be good to know how we know what we know? I mean, how do we know this? Look, look again at these verses 5 through 7. And I'm going to throw these out there in a different translation. Now, I want you to think, think of the answers to what Jesus is asking. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier? Jesus said, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose, took up his bed and went home. And what happens there is Jesus' power literally permeates paralysis and renders it powerless. Jesus refers to himself here as Son of Man, and so that every person living would know that he has power to forgive, which proves that he is God, he makes it absolutely crystal clear and demonstrates his authority to forgive by healing the paralytic from his paralysis. Now, catch this. Listen like you got four ears on. Back to the question that he asked the teachers. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, notice he doesn't ask which is easier to do. Rather, which is easiest to say? Do you know what's easier? It's easier to say because you can't see it. Your sins are forgiven. That's his point. Jesus' point is to those men, it's easier for me to say his sins are forgiven because I know they are. You can't see that, though, so that's harder to say for you. So, in order that you know and will know that I have power on earth to forgive sins, man, rise and walk. Take up your mat and go home. And what happens? He gets up. He's been paralyzed. This will blow a doctor out of the water. This will blow a, uh, what are those? Physical therapists. This will blow their mind. Their guy. That guy hasn't walked. He, maybe he didn't walk for a long time. Maybe he didn't walk all his life. Do you know who gets up and walks after they've been without their 
maybe you've had a broken leg or a broken arm or something. And how many of you know, boy, you can't just go back into the gym and pump those iron. You can't hardly even lift a gallon of milk. Not so here. Jesus says, rise, walk, take your mat, bend over, take that mat up, and go home. And he does. Physical therapists go, there's no possible physical way that that could happen. That has to be a miracle. Well, that's good because that's what we're on. We're on the series of Jesus' miracles. Hallelujah. So, when, when someone says your sins are forgiven, you can't actually tell that. But when someone says, get up, rise up, and walk, you can say that. It's harder. When you say to the paralytic, get up and walk, it's either going to happen or it's not. And everyone will know whether you had the authority to speak those words or not. Jesus is taking it to the mat, literally. He says to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And Matthew says the man got up and went home. Wasn't nothing else to do. But guess what? What you didn't see is now his sins are gone. You're like, no, wait. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Jesus is the one offering it. His sins are forgiven. Disciples' sins were forgiven. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Oh, this is so good. Third point before I let you go is this. God's forgiveness of our sins through Jesus should fill us with awe and praise. I mean, church, listen, when when you come into service, if you don't have anything to praise God for, if nothing good is going on in your life, if everything just, finances aren't working, relationships aren't working, the job, you don't like your boss, your boss doesn't like you, and you go to the, everywhere you go, people are just mean. Amen? Have you noticed that? People seem to get meaner and meaner. Uh, Can I just, be nice to them. Be nice to the mean people. They need you to be nice to them because so many other people are mean to them. I found this to be true. If you will just be nice to people, it's like you're a breath of fresh air. They just smile at them. They may not all smile back, but I'll guarantee you, you're going to get the majority smile back at you. You might get them going, hmm, what are they doing? They're different. Isn't it crazy that today in our world it's different for people to smile? Man. Everybody look at your neighbor and just give them a good smile. I mean, we, we should of all places be smiled at at church. <laughs> so point one, our greatest need is forgiveness. Point two, Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And point three, God's forgiveness of our sins through Jesus should fill us with awe and praise. Look at Matthew 9, 8. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And when the crowd saw this, it says they were awestruck, and they praised God. i got a question for you. Are you still awestruck with Jesus? Are you still amazed by his authority? You see, notice first why the crowd was filled with awe. They were filled with awe by what they saw. In other words, the crowd was filled with awe at the actual healing of the paralytic They may not even have heard Jesus' words about forgiveness. They may have been in the back of the room, didn't hear that. The only thing they knew is that that man came through the roof, paralyzed, lying on a mat, and he came out of the house walking, carrying that mat home, and they were rightly filled with awe. Matthew also tells us that the crowd praised God for a second thing. 
and that was that he gave man the power to forgive sin. Now, once again, this is, not, this is all in response to the healing of the paralytic and the forgiving of sins. This is all in response to what they saw, and you can't see forgiveness of sin. So here's the lesson for us today. It was good and appropriate for the crowd to be filled with awe and to praise God for the healing of the paralytic. But since forgiveness is a more important need than healing, we should be filled with even greater awe and praise for Jesus' authority to forgive sin. I had a grandmother who had arthritis really bad. And she hurt. It was very, very painful. She never was healed of arthritis. But she knew Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. Which is greater, to be healed of arthritis or to be forgiven of sin? If you never get the healing, if the miracle never happens, if the prayer is never answered, but you're forgiven, once you get there, the arthritis is gone. Look at Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared, revered, honored, praised. The word fear there means to be filled with reverence, awe, to be awestruck before God because He's the only one who has authority to forgive. And let me go back to that one point. You might still be wondering, but how could Jesus forgive this man's sin when Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet? Same way God forgave all the sins of everybody, clear back to Adam. Guess where all those people are? They're in heaven. They were just looking forward to it. They put their faith in Jesus before the cross. In fact, let me just get real technical. When was Jesus crucified? According to Scripture, before the creation of the whole world. He was crucified before the creation of the world. It already happened in God. It didn't physically happen, but God already had the plan. So how did God forgive people before Jesus went to the cross? It was still all on the basis of the cross. It was still looking forward to it. There would be no forgiveness apart from the cross, but God, knowing that Jesus would go to the cross, forgave people beforehand when they trusted Him through the sacrifices, pointing forward to Jesus. And when that high priest went every year into the Holy of Holies and he offered the blood of that spotless, spotless lamb, it took their sin and it pushed ahead a year. And for that whole next year, they're not guilty just as if they'd never sinned. It didn't eliminate it until the cross. And when the precious, perfect Lamb of God was crucified on the cross, gave His blood, 
that wiped all the sin all the way back from the cross to Adam and all the way from the cross all the way into eternity. And so, what God has done through Jesus to provide us with salvation, I hope we can see today it's truly amazing. God's forgiveness of our sins should fill us with awe and praise. So let me close. Like all of Jesus' miracles, this miracle is both a demonstration of His power and pledge of things to come. Here, He demonstrates His power to forgive sins and also to heal. And He still does it today. I'm going to just say this to everybody in this room, everybody watching online, whenever, wherever you're watching or hearing this. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's so simple. And you can do so today. Jesus has the power to forgive your sin. He has the power to forgive everything you've ever done. And He has the power to heal your sickness. He has the power to permeate your spiritual paralysis. Let Him speak the same words to you, and He wants to, that He spoke to that man. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Today, Jesus' power still permeates paralysis. It sets you free. And guess what? You'll walk again. But this time it'll be a new life. Can you say amen? Stand with me today. Father, all over this room, all over the world where people are watching and listening today, I ask that your presence would be in the room. If there are any without you today and not forgiven of sin, that you would come into them and heal their spirit. Remove the paralysis in the spirit realm. Forgive their sins. Wash them white as snow. Let them know you as Lord and Savior. Let them forsake what they're doing that is not pleasing to you and just say, Lord Jesus, come in and forgive. And I pray, Lord Jesus, when you're done, that they are washed brand new and they sense you there in their heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all in agreement, said a big amen. Amen and amen. Go in this, be glo- uh, just glory and be awestruck again, all afresh and anew in our Savior. Love you guys. God bless you. See you next Sunday.